Welcome to Central Speaks, home of our weekly podcast. Central Speaks is produced by Hamilton Central Baptist Church. Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 say, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, a Mede by birth, who was made king over the Chaldean kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books according to the word of the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede in Babylon. The year was 538 BC. Daniel had lived in Babylon almost as long as the empire had existed. Cyrus the Persian had taken Babylon almost a year earlier, and Darius the Mede was vice-regent under Cyrus the Emperor. Darius was actually said to be king, but the king was used in the same way that in the New Testament we read of the Herods being king over Palestine. He was really a a vice-regent, and Cyrus was the emperor. Now, Daniel was an old man. He had lived in Babylon since his teens and being part of the first deportation of Jewish royals and nobility from Jerusalem around 605 BC. He was now in his late 80s. He still held a position of great influence as premier of Babylon. But Daniel was at that age where most of us would have settled into retirement, collecting a pension, maybe, you know, rocking backward and forward in our rocking chair, wrapping ourselves up in a Persian shawl and enjoying life in the villa down on the banks of the Euphrates River. But that's not how we find Daniel. So we're going to read right now Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, a Mede by birth, who was made king over the Chaldean kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books, according to the word of the Lord, to the prophet Jeremiah, that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be seventy. So I turned my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Ah, Lord God, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. We have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled and turned away from your commands and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and leaders, fathers and all the people of the land. Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But this day, public shame belongs to us, the men of Judah, the residents of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are near and those who are far, and all the countries where you have banished them because of the disloyalty they have shown towards you. Lord, public shame belongs to us, our kings, our leaders, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the Lord our God by following his instructions that he set before us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has broken your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. The promised curse written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. He has carried out his words that he spoke against us and 
and against our rulers by bringing on us a disaster that is so great that nothing like what is being done to Jerusalem has ever been done under all of heaven. Just as is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities and paying attention to your truth. So the Lord kept the disaster in mind and brought it on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all he has done, but we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord, our God, he brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand and made your name renowned as it is this day. We have sinned. We have acted wickedly. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, may your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become an object of ridicule to all those around us. Therefore, our God, hear the prayer and the petitions of your servant. Make your face shine on your desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake. Listen closely, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolations of your city that bears your name. We're not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. We see in the first place, Daniel searched the word of God. Daniel searched the word of God. Verse 2 says, I, Daniel, understood from the books, according to the word of the Lord, to the prophet Jeremiah, that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. Now, instead of Rocking in his rocking chair, we find Daniel poring over the books and the scrolls that the captives had been careful to bring from Jerusalem all those years ago. Even in his 80s, Daniel searched the scriptures. I wonder how many of you in your golden years of retirement are searching the scriptures. During his personal daily time with God, he discovered a prophecy in a scroll of Jeremiah that caught his attention. Now, we don't know exactly what he was reading and studying, but we can make a pretty educated guess. Daniel would have been studying a couple of passages that arrested his attention, and one of those passages was from Jeremiah chapter 25. At the time, Jeremiah the prophet was still in Jerusalem. He wasn't part of the deportation to Babylon in 586 BC. But the Jews left in the land of Israel laughed at Jeremiah and ridiculed the word of God that God had given to Jeremiah. So Jeremiah wrote to the Jewish exiles in Babylon and he warned them not to believe the false prophets who were not sent from God. This is what he says in Jeremiah chapter 25 verses 8 through 11. Therefore this is what the Lord of armies says. Because you have not obeyed my words, I'm going to send my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and I'll bring them against this land, against its residents. This whole land will become desolate ruin and will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Another 
passage that Daniel was probably studying was Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 10 through 14. Now, many of us, many people love this passage and and take this kind of passage as their life verse. But actually, it was written by Jeremiah to the captives in Babylon. This is what it says. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back from this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. For I'll be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now, Daniel knew this in his heart. He knew that this was the pledged, promised word of God. Daniel didn't try and spiritualize the word of God. Neither did he try to find some mystical meaning hidden in the text. This was the word of God to Daniel, and Daniel believed it was literally true. The prophet Jeremiah had had spoken the word of God as it was revealed to him. And here we were 70 years later and Daniel believes that it is literally true. He knew the day was coming. 70 years was almost up. Daniel was willing to stake his all on this inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. The, The inspiration of scripture is always the intended meaning that God gave to the author. What the author understood God was saying. We can make application, but that doesn't alter the intended interpretation and the intended meaning. But there's a Another absolutely astounding prophecy written a hundred years before Jeremiah, and we find this in the prophet Isaiah chapter 45 verse 1. Actually, it was given about 200 years before its fulfillment. This is what it says. The Lord says this to Cyrus, his anointed, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue the nations before him and disarm kings, to open doors before him and even gates will not be shut. Friends, when, when, when Isaiah wrote that, Assyria wasn't, was still the dominant world power. Babylon wasn't even a blimp on the world power radar. Jerusalem and the temple were still flourishing. There was no visible indication of, of the desecration or deportation of the Jews, even in the distant future. Now, Daniel is old and he's reading in the books and he's studying the prophecies and They move him and they grip his heart. And perhaps for the first time ever, these two prophetic truths just jumped off the page. Jeremiah had prophesied there would be 70 years of Babylonian captivity. And Isaiah prophesied that Cyrus would be God's anointed at the time that God promised to bring the Israelites back home. Isn't that absolutely brilliant? I wonder, friends, does prophecy grip your heart? Does that kind of prophecy have that kind of effect on you as it as it should do you study it and search scriptures to know what god's plan is for the nations i know prophecy has become such a a controversial subject and with varying interpretations that you can easily miss the whole point of it 
And we've got to be so careful with, with the kind of newspaper exegetes who, who read something in the newspaper. Oh, well, I see it on stuff or they see it on, on the internet and, and then kind of declare, well, this is where we're up to in prophecy. We've got to be real careful about that. But Daniel searched the word of God and we should too. But we see in the second place that Daniel also sought the heart of God. Daniel sought the heart of God. When, when Daniel read in prophecy of Jeremiah that God was going to keep his people in captivity for 70 years, then release them back to the land of Israel, Daniel believed it and he sought the heart of God in prayer. Prayer is motivated by the word of God. Reading prophecy in scripture and realizing that it could be fulfilled at any time or to drive us to our knees in prayer. Here was a man who was so captivated by what God had said to him he would, and what God was going to do for his nation that, that Daniel just couldn't hold it in. And so he, he knelt down to pray. His prayer was motivated by the word of God. This isn't just your well, let's pray and we better get back to work kind of prayer. Wasn't that just those, those kind of one-sentence prayers? Those one-sentence prayers can be powerful prayers. Don't get me wrong. One-sentence prayers should be the continual expression of our hearts to God. Uh, I know someone that every time he gets up onto the platform to preach, he, he would go up and he'd just he'd walk backwards and forwards and he'd go, Praise the Lord! Praise the Lord! Hallelujah! Lord, come upon us today! Praise the Lord! And he meant it. I think it was C.H. Spurgeon. I'm pretty sure it was C.H. Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, who used to pray when he was walking up to his platform. You know, he had a platform that was like a birdhouse up there, you know, one of those high platforms. And he went up every stair and every stair he would repeat, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. All the way up to his platform. Do you remember Nehemiah? In Nehemiah chapter 2. King Artaxerxes asked Nehemiah one day, Nehemiah, why are you so sad when you aren't sick? Now, now it was absolutely forbidden for, for a people like Nehemiah or anybody serving the king to be sad in his presence. It says that I was alarmed. That's Nehemiah. I was alarmed with fear and replied to the king. May the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city of my ancestors are buried and lies in ruins and, and, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And then the king asked me, what is your request? And this is what it says. So I prayed to God of heaven and answered the, queen, the king. If it pleases the king. Now there's a, there's a one sentence prayer. Nehemiah didn't know what to say. Here's the king asking him, what do you want? And so he sends up this quick prayer to God, perhaps something like, help. We don't know. He just prayed this prayer and then he answers the king. If it pleases the king. And if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried, so that I may rebuild it. Those quick, urgent prayers are wonderful prayers. But this isn't the kind of prayer that Daniel prayed. His prayer was different from that. It was directly motivated from the prophecy of the word of God. What he read had such an impact on him, he, he turned his attention to seek the Lord in prayer. But not only is his prayer motivated by the word of God, but we see in the second place that prayer is measured by the will of God. Now in verse 3, tells us that Daniel sought God by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth 
and ashes. He puts on sackcloth. <laughs> you know what that is? That's that itchy, coarse material made by goat hair, and it was terrible stuff. You put, you wore it next to your skin, it itched like crazy. But it was the, the garment that you wore when you were mourning. And then we're told that Daniel took ashes, and he anointed himself with ashes. What does that mean? It means that he covered himself with ashes. And we find that he fasted and he sought the will of God with fervent prayers and petitions. In the book of Job, it says that Job prayed fervently while sitting in a pile of ashes, putting ashes upon his head. In other places in the Bible, we find that fervent prayer was often accompanied by crying or, or tearing of clothes, by fa fasting, by sighing or, or groanings. You remember the Lord Jesus praying in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, that agonizing fervent prayer where great drops of blood flowed from his face. Friends, what's happened to our praying today that's caused us to be so emotionless, so passionless in our praying. Daniel not only wore sackcloth and covered his head with ashes, but he fasted. And in the Bible, we find that fasting was depriving the body of nourishment as a sign of great sorrow. Fasting was often accompanied by weeping and lamentations. It was a person might fast when a family member had died or, or if a person had a critical decision to make or if someone was critically ill, they might fast or someone would fast for them that the, that the Lord would hear their prayers. Daniel's fast was accompanied with sackcloth, ashes, and we know from his prayer that he was fasting and mourning because of the sin of his people. Now look how Daniel prayed. Daniel began praying for forgiveness for his sin and the sins of his people. Look at verse 5. This is what it says. We have sinned, Daniel prayed. We have done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commands and ordinances. Friends, Daniel was a righteous man. He could have pointed the finger at the Jews and, and he could have prayed, Lord, they are breaking your commands. They are breaking your ordinances. Their sermons are powerless. The elders don't lead and the people, well, half of them I don't even think they're saved. And that's what we do, don't we? We tend to point the finger at other people, you know. We say, oh, Lord, that sister sandpaper or, or Lord, that, that brother blockhead. If only we could deal with that person. And we're always pointing the finger at other people. But Daniel didn't do that. Rather, he identified himself with his fellow Israelites and he prayed, Lord, we have sinned. We have done wrong. We have acted wickedly. We have rebelled and turned away from your commands and ordinances. Daniel had a sense of corporate guilt before God. Did you get that? Daniel had a sense of corporate guilt before God. Daniel was a righteous man. We're told in verse 23 that he was a man greatly treasured by God. But the truth is, friends, the more devout a person is to God, and the deeper his or her love is for Christ, the greater will be their sense of sinfulness. I used to have a very close friend of mine who used to ring me regularly, actually, during the week. 
And the first thing he would say is, brother, what has God shown you in your quiet time today? Boy, I love those times. I loved it when he rung. Often I hadn't got to my quiet time at that point. And if I was quick enough, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd quickly ask him before he had a chance to ask me, brother, what does uh, what did God say to you in your quiet time today? I'd catch him out. But you know, I used to hear him over and over again. He'd say, oh, brother, I am such a sinner. I am such a sinner. You know, in my mind, he was, he was such a godly man. I, I couldn't understand that. I mean, I mean, we're saved from sin, aren't we? We have victory over sin through Christ. We're, we're not working towards victory. We're working from a position of victory, aren't we? We're in this position of victory in Christ. I, I just couldn't understand it. But friends, the truth of the matter is, the closer we walk with God, the more we become aware of our capacity to sin. Isn't that true? When you catch a, a glimpse of God's holiness and, and God's glory, you become like Isaiah who, who said, woe is me. He, he was calling a, 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 a curse upon himself. He was saying, damned am I. Well, you think about John on the Isle of Patmos. You think about him. He, there was a righteous man and he, and he hears this noise behind him and he turns to see what the noise was and he sees the resurrected, glorified Lord Jesus Christ beaming in all of his glory. And what did John do? Fell as a dead man before the Lord Jesus. I wonder how long it's been since you've prayed that kind of prayer, confessing, your sins and the sins of your fellow believers. <laughs> you know, our, our prayers can often become so self-centered that we forget that we're all part of the body of Christ. Together, we bear the name of Christ in how we live. <laughs> Did you know that your sin affects me? It's true. Your sin affects me and my sin affects you. When there's unforgiveness and bitterness in the body, it affects all of us. Together, we're responsible together as a body for making God's name famous. And then Daniel did a very strange thing. He prayed that God would do what God had already promised he was going to do. Look for a moment at verses 17 through 19. Therefore, our God, hear the prayer and the petitions of your servant. Make your face shine on your desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake. Listen closely, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolations and the city that bears your name. For we're not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act, my God, for your own sake. Do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Why did Daniel pray what God had said he would do? Surely if God has said it, God's going to do it, won't he? I mean, why pray for something that God has already promised? The reason is this. Because God expects us to pray in accordance with his will. God expects us to pray in accordance with his will. Remember what John wrote in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. You remember what he wrote there? He said, this is the confidence that we have before him. If we ask 
anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears whatever we ask. We know that we have what we have asked of him. Prayer is not trying to twist God's arm to change his will or to do our will. Rather, our prayers should be motivated by a deep sense of God's will as revealed in his word. We should pray his will back to him. And and if we have questions, ask him questions about the, the text that we don't understand. Prayer is not getting God to adjust his program to do what we want. Prayer should be us adjusting our program to do what God wants. Daniel understood God's will, and he began to pray that the Israelites would come into conformity with the revealed will of God. He prayed that the people would confess their sins and turn from their wicked ways and and turn their hearts towards God. Daniel prayed that God would bring about his promises and establish them back in the land. Prayer is measured by the will of God. Prayer is motivated by the word of God. And so how is it with you? We've looked today at Daniel who searched the word of God and and who sought the heart of God. Are you searching the will of God? Are you searching it and, and, and seeking out even those passages that seem difficult to understand? We know that there are books in the Bible that are extremely difficult. But what if you were to search it out and pray, God, give me understanding. Go and talk to somebody who can, who can help you understand it and, or, or find books that can help you. We need to search the word of God. And just like Daniel, we need to seek the heart of God. Thanks for joining us this week online. Come join us on Sunday mornings too if you're in Hamilton. Find out more about Hamilton Central Baptist Church and discover ways to get involved at www.hcbc.nz. Join us again next week at Central Speaks.